Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm talking to Managing Editor James Kleiman about the cancellation of the merger between Homebridge and Figure, which was going to be a use case for leveraging blockchain and mortgage at scale. We'll also be discussing the article rounding up lender layoffs in 2022 that we published this week. And we're going to talk about some of the ways lenders are increasing volume, including non-QM loans, rental loans, reverse, and more. That's a lot to cover, so let's get started. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Sarah, good to be with you. Always good to have you on. And we have so much news flowing through our various newsrooms that I feel like you and I could do this every single day. It's just crazy how much is going on. I like to get with the individual reporters and talk through what they're doing, but I love to talk to you because we get sort of that overall view of what's happening. And so, you know, let's start out. One of the big stories from um, yesterday or from this week is the figure in Homebridge deal looks like it got canceled. So tell me about that. Yeah, so for uh, for those who've been keeping track, figure you know obviously Mike Cagney's um, fintech lender. He was the the co-founder of uh, of SoFi. You know, originally kind of a, one of the major players in the student lending space, and then they started to move into mortgage a little bit. Never really totally took hold there, but but at that point, Mike, Mike had left, and um, and so he's got this company. He believes that blockchain is going to be the underpinning technology that is going to revolutionize. The mortgage industry, um, plenty of other industries, but for him specifically, he's most interested these days in the mortgage industry, and and it makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it, it doesn't take an expert uh, who's been at mortgage lending, you know, for forty years to tell you that some, especially on the back end, the process is pretty cumbersome. You know, often even today for a lot of lenders, still very paper heavy, and um, and just very inefficient. And you know, having a decentralized ledger um, that that is absolute and, and difficult to hack. Is is very appealing, and and so it's been a few years now. Through Figure Technologies, has been looking to kind of test out that blockchain promise um, in mortgage lending, which um, you know is tricky because you still need the buy-in of so many other um, you know companies and services and and regulators, and, and you, you can't just snap your fingers and say, okay. It's Wednesday. We're gonna do. We're gonna do a mortgage digitally through the blockchain, and uh, and then you know the revolution will happen from my from my living room. Um, you need you need other stakeholders that are invested, and you need to be able to do it at scale. Most importantly, and so about I want to say almost a year ago, I think it was in August of 2021, Mike announced Mike Cagney announced that they had um, struck a deal to merge with Homebridge. Uh, which is a multi-channel lender. They're based out of my my home state of New Jersey, and you know they're they're kind of they're they're not the vanguard of the tech mortgage revolution. You know they are kind of that classic quintessential old school mortgage company that has been doing you know mortgage loans for thirty something years, maybe even a little bit longer. And and they're headed by Peter Norton, who's who's a veteran of the industry, you know, who's been through every cycle. And they have scale. They were, you know, they're they're a top 40 lender in the country. They do a lot of conventional, they do a lot of other loans. Um, in, in a lot of ways, this is um kind of a great proof of test, right? Like if if you can take um an entity like Homebridge that is not particularly um tech, I don't I don't mean to suggest that they're like 
doing everything pad and paper and, and don't have any ability to process a mortgage within you know x amount of days. That's not my inference here, but but they're they're not you know uh, like a Rocket or UWM or or one of these very kind of tech focused lenders. They are a standard everyday mortgage company. And so what Mike Hackney and Peter Norton hoped to do was to one double loan productivity through figure. And two, be able to offer different products through one another and really test out the viability of the blockchain. However, as is so often the case with MA deals, um, you know, it's it's a long road to getting approval, and they haven't received the regulatory approval that they had hoped to achieve by this point. We're about 10 months since they announced the deal. And um, I, I don't have greater context beyond. Um, what what both companies have said publicly at this point, but um, you know, the longer something takes, the less likely it is for a deal to go through, right? Like if anyone's ever interviewed for a job before, and and you've been doing it for seven weeks, you're probably not going to get that job, you know. And so the the longer it takes, the more likely it is a deal is going to get sunk. And so they announced, I believe it was late Friday, um, that they were instead going to be working through a strategic partnership instead of an actual merger. And and so, you know, it, it leaves open a lot of questions about one, you know, how viable is blockchain? How ready are people? Um, if, if you really do think this is like the game changing, you know, revolutionary technology that is going to be, you know, the, the future, the now and present future of the mortgage industry Maybe you wait a few more months and see where regulatory approval is, or or maybe they had uh, a reason to believe that they wouldn't get um, the go ahead from from the regulators, or you know maybe it's it's been a year, right, almost a year, and the the climate looks a lot different in mortgage than it did in August twenty twenty one, and maybe some of those valuations valuation numbers didn't pencil out as much. Um, so it's it's really hard to say. I, I can only speculate at this point, but but the reality is the deal was no longer going through, and this was probably one of the most exciting of the MA deals in the mortgage space. You know, for the most part, what we're seeing is bigger lender who is traditional and has scale is gobbling up a smaller competitor that is struggling to stay in the black. And, you know, and, and their founders are are in the twilight of their careers and they're they're looking for uh, you know a life raft. Um, this wasn't that. And um, it'll be interesting to see if, if blockchain takes off, um, how these companies can can continue going mostly solo. Um, but it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it's an exciting development. And, and it's, you know, in some ways kind of a sad one. Yeah, I agree, because we were pretty excited about like you said, it's like, wow, OK, here's a proof case, right? Like here's a, we can, we can see it work in real time and, and what that looks like. I do wonder if, if, you know, merging is such a, a burden that maybe they'll be able to, you know, with these uh, joint products and piggybacking off of different things, maybe they'll be able to, you know, actually do some pretty interesting things without the merger, right? You know, just as companies are working closely together. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I think you can definitely find value in strategic partnerships, and there are plenty of companies, big and small, in the space that do. And and I know that um, the the two are certainly planning to pursue doing a HELOC home equity line of credit and piggyback products. And so, you know, they were they were planning on deploying new applications, and and um, I believe a, a white label HELOC product for the wholesale market was was kind of the big plan. And, um, and and they're still planning on integrating, uh, you know, the, 
they call it DART. It's it's their blockchain based mortgage um, program uh, at figure. So those changes may maybe not be fully realized at this point, but but they're still going to pursue them. Uh, I, I just don't know if if you can realize as big a test case. You know, the merger would have brought one hundred fifty thousand customers from Homebridge, and um, you know, and and that's roughly about a twenty five billion dollar a year lender. Um, and then so seeing blockchain at scale, seeing, you know, demand for some of these products at that kind of scale, um, I, I don't know if you can fully achieve it or realize it um, when, when you don't um, have an actual, uh, you know, one company, if, if they're still separate companies, you know, running separate processes. And, and um, it, it's, it's too soon to say, of course, but um, it, it's going to, you know, the show will go on, right? Yeah, but uh, agreed. I mean, uh, feels like a, a missed opportunity. You know, that uh, brings to mind another merger that we, you know, is big now. It's between two tech companies. So the Ice Black Knight, um, which uh, apparently people are already calling Black Ice, uh, which, you know, just uh, I love. Let's just start calling them Black Ice. Um, it, you know, they might get some cease and desist orders <laughs> if, uh, if, if we do that too often. <laughs> But, um, you know, we know that that they're in the they announced that they'd like to do it and it's in that regulatory phase. And you just wonder, um, there are so many things to unwind there. I and mean, they do, you know, they they said in the announcement that like, oh, hey, you know, Black Knight's pretty focused on servicing ice on origination. So this is how these two could combine and not be a monopoly or whatever. But the devil is in the details there. And it's it's going to be really interesting to see how, first of all, how long does it take? I mean, and at what point does it sort of stymie their, you know, the companies or at what point is it going to kill this deal if it takes too long? You know, any of that. But I mean, we're definitely watching there. Yeah. And then these are both publicly traded companies, which is different than, um, you know, than Homebridge and, and um, you know, and, and Figure as well. And so they're also much, much, much bigger, you know, it, People forget, but but these are massive, massive, massive companies that virtually everyone in the space at least knows. You know, I don't think the casual person walking down, you know, Fifth Avenue knows knows you know it's mortgage technology or Black Knight. Maybe they do, but um, I, I think that's pretty unlikely. But but they're they are easily the biggest players in that space, and and we've seen regulators in the past say, you know what, this looks monopolistic, or um, we're concerned about what what the overall market looks like if these two companies do combine. I mean, CoStar famously um, has has um, you know been deterred, uh, you know, pursuing big mergers in in sort of that data real estate space, and so I don't think it's a guarantee that uh, this deal is going to go through, and and if it drags for more than a year. You probably have a lot of angry shareholders on both sides who, who are seeing value, you know, leaving their wallets pretty quickly. So, yeah, I, I, I wonder if, if um, you know, the, the sense that regulation and um, and, and slowness from um, you know the, the players that require that need to give you the signatures is going to deter um, others from pursuing big mergers. And and this is a time in which we're going to probably see a lot more M and A activity than we had. You know, over the last two years, when when pretty much everyone was flush with cash, you know, and, and VC money was everywhere, and private equity money was everywhere, and you know, institutional capital kept everyone's bellies full, and and now that dries up, right? And and um, and so there, there's going to be a need for a lot of different business models and different plans, and I think this is probably only going to affect some of the bigger companies that are more controversial moves um, in this space. You know, I, I don't think the the average, you know, 
number 53 ranked mortgage lender merging with, you know, the number 37 ranked mortgage lenders is probably going to cause too much of a stir with, with the powers that be, but um, it's, it's something to watch for sure. Well, and you just wonder, you know, even if, even if that is the case with those, you know, with two, you know, similar mortgage lenders farther down the list, you go, well, who are these people? You're like, who are the people dedicated to looking at these mergers and, and deciding yes or no? How many of them can there possibly be? And how long, you know, if they're tied up with, you know, ice and, and black Knight, you know, do they have time to do that? I know people know this. I, you know, this is just not a, a space I'm completely familiar with, but I would love to know, you know, if you're a regular, you're listening to this, if you're one of those people, uh, let us know and be like, oh, hey, there's actually this many people or, um, you know, you're totally off base, whatever. But from my opinion, I'm like, you know, how... It, how long could it take? Is it is it a function of how many people are even uh, hired right now to do that? Yeah, you know, and uh, I would certainly like to talk to the lawyers who have been working on, uh, you know, advising these companies on on. Uh, if you're at Houlihan Loki and you worked on this with with uh, with the folks at Homebridge or or um, or if you're at Zuckerman Gore or Brandeis and, and Crossman. Uh, or, or, you know, at City or J.P. Morgan who are advising these firms, like, love to hear from you on or off the record. It would, would be good to get a little bit more perspective on, on kind of what the expectations are and, and who you need to talk to and, um, you know, what the time horizons look like. Because um, it, it, The time horizons, uh, yes. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, my, my reading uh, between the lines of, of figure and homebridge is they thought this would get done a lot quicker. And, and the fact that they're pulling it now tells me that they don't see – much light at the end of the tunnel and that it could have dragged and dragged and dragged. And, and and their position is we have a lot of really important products that we need to get out in front of the public right now. And we can't do this while waiting, you know, kind of just, just stuck in, in motion. So um, yeah, I, I would love to hear from uh, all the lawyers. The first time I've ever said that, I think. <laughs> uh, on this particular topic, let, let's just say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, transitioning to another story, Connie Kim, uh, wrote up one called these mortgage lenders have cut jobs in 2022. And what we really wanted to do with that story was it, it feels like, you know, dribs and drabs. It's like, oh, this person's, you know, this company is laying off 81 workers. Oh, this, you know, and it can just feel like a constant drumbeat of like, who's, you know, it's hard to keep up who's laid off whom, what's coming next. And so in this story, she really rounded up everything from the beginning of the year. Like here's the, all the lenders and that's not, you know, the tech companies or other, other players, but lenders, servicers who have laid off people this year and kind of rounded up the total number of those when, when it's known. So I thought it was a really good story. Of course, we don't like layoffs. We don't, this is not good news to us. You know, people sometimes in the industry are like, oh, you know, click, you know, you get so many clicks on layoff stories. It's like, you know, we're, we're in this, we're this business to serve this industry. And, you know, we're never happy when we see layoffs, but we are going to cover it, obviously. It's and in this story, you know, we're really trying to do our, our readers a service of like, hey, are, does it feel like you've lost track? Well, here you go. It's all in one place. Yeah. You know, and, and there are a lot of big names in there. And and really, I, I think if um, if you click through it, it's it's more surprising that there are so few that have not laid off workers at this point. And and even those that are not right-sizing or, or whatever phrase you want to assign to it, um, they are looking to cut their expenses. I don't know of any company, any lender in America that doesn't look at where they were a year from from where we are now and say, we need to get those numbers way down because origination volume is way down. We're talking 25% or more at, at a lot of these lenders. And they built up so much capacity 
to serve, you know, uh, just a, a parade of, of borrowers, especially refi borrowers, and and they created these infrastructures and 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 these these uh, new systems in a lot of cases and, and and different workflows and processes, and then suddenly, you know, businesses it dries up on, on refis, especially, and so you have to adapt. And and if you've been in the industry for a while, it, this is nothing new. Maybe it's more extreme than most down cycles just due to the suddenness by which it occurred. You know, the, the people I talked to say, we, we thought it would slow down. You know, we expected mortgage rates would probably be in like the high threes, low fours for most of the last six months, but they've been in the mid fives, you know, for, for a good portion of the time. And that just kills a lot of business models that aren't quick enough to adapt without making mass layoffs. Um, and, and, you know, even when we do see these layoffs, for the most part, they are relatively contained. You know, I, I see a lot of the layoffs in originations, no surprise there. You know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of layoffs in, in uh, marketing, especially. I see them in recruiting. I see them in, in kind of a lot of like administrative personnel and, um, for a lot of people who've been in the industry for a long time, if, if you're a processor or an underwriter who's been in the business for 10 years or, or more, it's really tough. It's, it's going to be very hard, but you'll probably find a job. You know, there are still enough lenders who are doing enough business and have, you know, a, a future that um, not all doors are shut. Um, but if, if you've only been in it for a year, maybe two years, and maybe you never, you know, had the opportunity to do a lot of purchase loans or, or more challenging products, or maybe you don't have experience cross-selling certain products, or, or you know, you, you kind of have that hole in your resume in some respects. Um, it's it's going to be really, really difficult. And, and, you know, characteristic to the industry is people wash out. There is a very high attrition rate in sales in general, right? Like I, I worked at media companies my whole career, and I can't think of a single one where the sales staff was, you know, the same from the start of the year to the end of the year. And um, I can only imagine what that looks like in an environment like mortgage lending, you know, which is more volatile in some ways. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's sad. It's, it's disappointing. It's hard to see. And, and I get a lot of emails from people, you know, asking if I know where the jobs are. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't. Um, and, um, and it's going to continue. You know, we, we are probably going to see another difficult second quarter, you know, but we'll have the earnings calls coming out fairly soon. But Q3, even if it's a little bit better, I mean, nobody thinks that rates are going to drop suddenly down into the low to mid fours, right? Like no one thinks that, that you know, uh, just a bunch of refi loans are, are sitting in someone's shopping cart waiting, you know, waiting to find the checkout counter. Like, those loans aren't there. You know, if you needed to refi, you did it like two years ago or last year. You need to change how you do business. And, and not everyone can do that, whether it's through circumstance or, or just, um, you know, training. But yeah, I, I expect we're going to continue to see substantial layoffs um, across different companies in different regions, depending on their cost basis. Um, we, we see a lot of them in California. We also only know about so many of them because um, these are really, from a reporter's standpoint, they're hard to cover because um, very, very rarely does a mortgage lender or any company come out and say, hey, James, um, I, I know you've been working on some other stuff. I wanted to let you know we just laid off like 4,000 people. So drop what you're doing and, and uh, you know, start writing that up. 
Um, they almost never comment. They almost never have. Um, they rarely even confirm the numbers. Um, so we typically hear about this through warn notices, which are requirements in, in most states, but there are a lot of conditions attached to them depending on the state. And so depending on where you are, it, it needs to be over 50 jobs. It needs to be at a single facility. And that doesn't always apply um, depending on the company. Or if they're publicly traded, we might hear about it through them. So, you know, we, we have a list. I think it's pretty comprehensive. Um, a lot of it is source-driven reporting. We've talked to the LOs or processors or underwriters or administrative assistants or recruiters or marketers or sales managers that have been laid off or, or their, their colleagues, former colleagues have been laid off. Um, but it's not exhaustive. So if, if you do you know, uh, want to share what's what's happening at your, your shop or your former shop, like we, we'd love to hear from you. So please, please shoot me an email. It's james at hwmedia.com. And uh, we plan to keep this updated. You know, I think it's it's a good resource for people. I think it's important to be able to track this and to, to follow the trajectory. It, it matters to the people who are in it. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good point that you bring up that, you know, we talk to people and we don't just talk to one person. It's not like, oh, somebody says, hey, you know, they've been doing a whole bunch of layoffs and we write that up. I mean, you guys um, have done a great job of really making sure we talk to multiple people, reaching out to the companies, trying to confirm through more notices or, you know, or the, or the other way, see a more notice and then try to get in touch with people. It, it is a pretty exhaustive um, list there and, and shows a lot of reporting from, from your side. Yeah. And it doesn't include other, you know, other um, natural phenomena in the, in the uh, kind of management um, sector of you change someone's comp plan or, you know, you you say, I, I know that you've been working from home for the last two years, Brian, but but now everybody needs to be in the office by July 1st or they no longer have a job. You know, that does not qualify as a layoff. And, and there are a lot of companies that just straight up fire people. Um, they, they don't pretend that, that there is a layoff happening, that you didn't, you know, measure up or, or you didn't achieve a certain level of performance. And, and so... You know, we're, we're going to part ways. Um, and that's kind of the ugly reality, but a reality that is you know, largely unchanged for a lot of people in this industry over the last few decades. We do see some bright spots uh, when it comes to new products, territory. So, so, for instance, you were talking about the HELOC a little bit earlier. We do see some um, companies, you know, expanding into products and into non-QM. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, we there was an IMN had a non-QM conference last week that uh, Connie was at, also covered, and talked about the fact that in the future, they feel like, you know, in the next 10 years, you're going to see up to a third of the market is going to be uh, non-QM borrowers or non-QM loans, however you want to uh, say that. And so even wondering, hey, should, should the uh, GSEs start to take a look at those, you know, as people they need to serve? Right now, they're not really involved, but... Either way, right now, if you are um, someone who has done a lot of underwriting for non-QM, I bet you have some uh, some job stability there. Yeah, you probably have prospects too, for sure. Yep. You know, and there's still a shortage of underwriters in certain sectors of the market, um, of the you know finance mortgage market, and especially in secondary. You know, they they've really struggled to find people because they're doing fairly complicated work in a lot of cases. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, in terms of the non-QM stuff, so. <sighs> I would be very surprised personally if a third of borrowers, even in the next decade, were 1099s or bank statement borrowers. I, I mean, that that sounds um, optimistic to me and, and totally possible. I am I am not a mortgage practitioner. I'm merely a scribe. But the reality is, yeah, Fannie has a pretty limited box 
so to speak. They, they are not looking to court 1099s. They are not looking to get the small business owner who has you know, stable, if more complicated finances, because it's mostly asset driven, right? Um, or, or it's a cash flow uh, scenario. It's it's just, it's not in their purview. It's not in their mandate and, and they're not going to touch it. Um, the non-QM space, you know, I mean, the, these are, as I just said, like, generally speaking, pretty strong credit profiles. These are not like, I work part-time at Wendy's and, you know, my, my wife is like an Instagram blogger for headgear for orthodonture, you know, and has 73 followers on Instagram. I mean, these are ridiculous scenarios, but, you know, these are mostly small business owners or people who work for themselves or have their own, you know, their own stable cash producing uh, businesses uh, that, that just don't work for Fannie and Freddie and, and the creator economy is not going to go away. You know, I, I do think that we're going to see a lot more people who eschew kind of a traditional W2 job and, and whether you want to call that betting on themselves or, or you know, in some cases they're kind of forced uh, to be, to be on, on sort of the margins of, of W2, you know, workforce. But um, that is certainly the trend. Um, will it be a third? I, I, I don't see it, but, but yeah. And, and we'll, Fanny, will Freddie need to step up and, and kind of create a different credit box to serve borrowers that are, you know, right now non-traditional? I mean, I, if, if I looked at someone did a P&L over the last six months and they had great cash flow, you know, that their, you know, DTI was really low. They had, you know, a lot of assets that, that you could use as collateral. Um, I would feel pretty comfortable, but I am also not you know, a, a hugely bureaucratic entity that is governed by, you know, an incredible array of fine print and, and strange conditions um, that, that thousands of lawyers have looked through over the course of, you know, the last 20 years. So who am I to say? But but yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think that Fannie and Freddie would be wise to, to consider opening up the credit box, if, if not only because it is so limited right now, and it leaves so many borrowers behind, and it's not because they're a credit risk. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Connie and I talked about this a little bit yesterday on, on the podcast after being at this uh, secondary conference and hearing uh, Rohit Chopra himself talk about um, the black box of credit scoring and FICO having a, mon- a monopoly. You know that credit scoring is on their list. Well, credit scoring is one of the things that determines if something is cute, you know, a qualified mortgage or not, right, is the is the credit score of the person. So there's all sorts of ways to to get to this and and all of them are interesting. The other uh, bright light I would like to point out to our audience is reverse. So we just published something about how um, seniors are saying they want to age in place. No, no surprise to all of us. The senior tsunami never, the silver tsunami never happened. We didn't have this whole bunch of people who are like, yeah, let's put our you know houses up for inventory. They're staying in their homes. They want to age in place. But really, the only way they can do that is through a reverse mortgage in many cases, right? So you have the combination of people wanting to stay in place and people whose homes are now, you know, they have all this equity. So um, we definitely see some rising interest from people who t- typically didn't do reverse mortgages looking at that and going, wow, there's there's a whole uh, segment there. And I think they're right. And there are a lot of reasons that they'll want to age in place, not not least of which is because they're comfortable there. They know their home. They, they're able to to maintain ties to the community or hobbies or interests, whatever it might be. But it's also because very often family is there 
And if they were to sell and they were to buy again, they're probably already in, you know, an, an area in which it's prohibitive to buy. And so it doesn't make sense. You know, it, no, no one's going to sell their home and say, okay, well, I'm just going to move like 4,000 miles away from the grandkids now and uh, live in the Caribbean. You know, it does happen, I'm sure. But um, I, I think for the most part, people want to age in place because it's their universe, right? Like the nexus of where people go is generally not very far. You know, people like to stick for the most part with, with areas in which they have family and friends and a support network. And so, you know, I, my parents are the rare ones in that they moved, you know, further away. Most people stick around. Most people figure out, you know, this is probably one of the biggest contingents of those who could benefit from renovation loans and certainly from, you know, um, you know, reverse mortgage products. You know, I, I have a relative here in Brooklyn um, who has never paid for anything out beyond cash, has never taken debt on a home, has like never had a credit card, you know, and, and they're, they're, that in, is wild. And they're in their late sixties. Yeah. And they would never, ever, ever, they probably never heard of a reverse mortgage. Um, but this is a product for someone who is retired. It makes a lot of sense because, you know, you have a ton of equity in the home, right? Like you own it outright and, and your income is otherwise not, not what it once was when you had a job. So I, I think there's a ton of people out there who could benefit from these products, depending on circumstances that will just will never hear about it. And, and so that industry in particular has not even just the reputation management issue that they've been working very hard to overcome, but just getting the word out there that this is a smart and viable product that a lot of seniors would benefit immensely from. Um, so it's, it's a dual challenge, but, but you know, hopefully we'll see um, you know, them, them pick up some gains in, in the next few years. Absolutely. And I think you have more, um, you know, there's just more incentive to go after those to decide if your company that's always been a Ford mortgage company wants to, you know, expand into, you know, reverse mortgages because your volume's down. So this is a perfect time to look at that. And so we're seeing all sorts of things there. The rental loans, another great, another great point. Yeah. And like, you know, if, if you're a forward traditional mortgage lender and, and you've been mostly doing agency loans and maybe, you know, a little bit of a smattering here and there of kind of non-agency or whatever, like you're never going to transform your business by adding on reverse or reno loans or these other products. You know, they might account for a few percentile in origination volume, but when you get down to the numbers at the end of the quarter, that could be the difference between operating in the red and operating in the black. But but you know, it's it's a lot of extra compliance, it's a lot of training, it's it's um it's not easy. There's a reason not everybody just does it, right? Because it's it's hard. It really is. It's not a, a the flip of a switch. Um, I did have one. I just had to put an asterisk because you said you haven't worked for a media company that had salespeople that um, you know were the same by the end of the year. Meanwhile, you work for a media company currently that are. We have a salesperson who is here from the beginning. Christy Humphreys helped launch Housing Wire. That's true. Um, and now That's at HW Media, we have you know we have several. Uh, lots of our sales team has years of experience with us. So. Just wanted to put th put that in there. This is the rare bird. Yes, we are. Yeah, we are absolutely. rare in so many ways. Um, thanks so much for coming on and, and really talking about all that coverage. We've got so many good things on on across our sites. So it's not just housingwire.com. It's realtrends.com. It's it's reverse mortgage daily. It's Finledger. Um, great great content throughout. And I just appreciate you, James, coming on and walking me through it. Thanks very much, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? 
Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.